Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor? And anyway, Jesus answered it. He was going to be in trouble. The question is bad enough, but look at who's asking it. The Herodians and the Pharisees. If Jesus says it's not lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, then the Herodians, who are supporters of Rome and its government, and of Herod, would kind of rub their hands in glee and say, aha, now we got you. And if he said, well, yes, it's lawful to pay taxes, then the Pharisees, who think there's no law but the Torah, would accuse him of putting Caesar before the God of Israel. It is a no-win situation. And there's no way he can satisfy one without offending the other. And it's clear that the Pharisees and the Herodians have set out to trap Jesus. And it's really a curious combination of forces here. Shakespeare's comment, politics doth make strange bedfellows of us all, is very true. Here, having the Herodians and the Pharisees as allies is a little like, well, asking Mitch McConnell and Bernie Sanders to join forces. You really have to ask what it is that's driven them together. And what is it that has so upset them about Jesus that they could make common cause against him? Well, having tried to trap Jesus with one of those gotcha questions, I doubt that they left feeling very satisfied because Jesus really has turned the tables on them and pushed the question back at them. Let's look more closely at what's going on. Do you have a coin? Apparently, Jesus doesn't have one, but one of the questioners does. Now, understand that there are two currencies that are in circulation in Jerusalem at this point. One was used in the temple. And remember the story where Jesus goes and overturns the, temples, the tables of the money changers in the temple? That's because you couldn't bring a Roman coin with the image of Caesar into the holy tabernacle. So there was temple money, and there was Roman money, which was the kind you had to use for everyday sort of thing and certainly to pay your taxes. Do you have a coin? One of the challengers reaches into his bag and he pulls out a coin and he hands it to Jesus. It's a denarius. It has a Roman coin. It has a picture of the emperor on one side and his title on the other. So Jesus takes the coin and he looks at it and he turns it over and looks at the other side. And on one side there is the image of Tiberius, the emperor. And then the other side is his title. Tiberius Caesar, august son of the divine Augustus high priest. Now what's a good Jew doing carrying a coin like that? And after studying the coin comes Jesus' answer to the question, the one that we so often hear, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And that's often quoted in the context of keep God out of politics. But is that really what Jesus means? Now, one of the things we cherish in this country is that wall of separation between church and state. It's part of what makes this highly diverse land of ours work. In Jesus' day, nobody thought that way. Church and state were all of a piece. No one would understand what you were even talking about if you tried to describe how we operate here in this country. 
And Rome had deified their emperors as a way to hold this highly diverse empire of theirs together. You'd do whatever else you wanted to, but if you worshiped the emperor, it was a way of saying that you belonged to the country and would behave yourself. On the Jewish side, of course, there's also no difference between civil law and religious law. So religious law covered everything. But of course, they were not about to call anybody God, but the Lord God. So Jesus says, render to Caesar. He's saying, sure, pay your taxes. It's Caesar's money. It's got his picture on it. Give him his due. But Jesus doesn't quit there. What comes, he begins to say, it's time for you to look here and see what belongs to God and which comes first. You see, is there anything that doesn't belong to God? That's the issue. Is there anything that doesn't belong to God? And so you're really asking the question of who's in charge? So the question is, what comes first? Your sort of knee-jerk political stance or the commands of Jesus? Do you belong to Caesar or do you belong to God? And the reality of that choice is, shows in the kinds of things we decide. How we spend our money, where we put our energy, where we cast our ballot. I'm not going to answer that question for you, but I'm going to challenge you to think about how do you begin to sort out, if God's in charge, how do I live the rest of my life? Now, as a lot of you know, I've just come back from a week in Cuba. And Cuban Christians have a really interesting history on this struggle between church and state. When the revolution became the government, Cuba was officially proclaimed an atheistic state. And there were penalties for people who went to church. There were limitations on the kind of jobs you could hold, what you could study in the universities, the kinds of opportunities that opened to your children. And so for Cubans of that era, what you rendered to Caesar or to God was a pretty clear choice, often a difficult one because of the penalties. But then the Russians left and the economy collapsed. And the churches went to Castro and they said, let us in, let us in. And so there was a meeting held between church officials, Protestant, Roman Catholic, the whole gamut, and Castro. It was a nationally televised meeting that went on for six hours. And what they said is, we don't agree with everything you're doing, but we do want some of the things that you want. We want education. We want health care. We want opportunities for our people. Let us in, let us be part of this nation. And as a result of that, the national constitution was actually changed, and the penalties for Christians were eased. There's still some suspicion, but it's not the same. And churches began to grow, but you know, now the choices between Caesar and God are not as clear. And Cubans are struggling with some of the same questions that we struggle with. The choices aren't always clear. And sometimes we're glad to support the work of the government, and other times we feel compelled to oppose it. And that's both a privilege and a responsibility that we have as Christians and, frankly, as patriots. This land, or the kingdom of God, which comes first? And how do we make that decision? We make it after steeping ourselves in the teachings of Jesus 
after much prayer, and after a willingness to kind of step back and look in a more objective way at some of the things that are happening. And then we try to look at them through the eyes of God. Above all, we have to place ourselves in the kingdom of God and the commitment to God that we will render to God the things that are God's. Amen.